week on Business Brief, we'll learn about the finances of Missouri's new caucus system. Then we'll dig into a new report that takes stock of the state of the restaurant industry. Welcome to Business Brief, Missouri Business Alert's podcast focused on the business news and issues shaping the state. My name is Siggy Reese, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ansley Franco. Ansley, how are you doing this week? I'm doing swell. The weather outside has been really uplifting my mood. It's been so sunny with such little clouds in the sky. And um, yeah, I feel much better going into this week. What about you? I'm feeling so good because of the weather. It's truly like my favorite combination. Like it's a little cool outside, but like not too cold. And then it's also sunny. Like that is just my favorite kind of weather. So I'm like a Midwesterner. (laughs) (laughs) And the funny thing is I'm I'm not really. So, but I I love it. It's been so nice. I like four years have done it to you. These four years in Missouri have just made me the way that I am. And I I love walking outside. It makes me feel happy. So yeah, it's definitely a nice mix where it's not going to be too hot where you're sweating walking to class or walking around um but the breeze has been very much welcomed oh 100 well are you ready to get into this week's headlines oh yeah let's do it the biden administration announced this week it is forgiving another 1.2 billion dollars in student loan debt for over 150,000 borrowers the federal government notified loan holders who are recipients of the forgiveness on Wednesday. Recipients are enrolled in a specific federal payment plan and have made at least a decade's worth of payments This move comes after the Supreme Court denied the administration's trillion-dollar student loan forgiveness plan last year. A committee opposed to a tax that would subsidize stadium costs for the Kansas City Royals and Chiefs filed paperwork with the Missouri Ethics Commission this week. Jackson County residents will vote in April on the extension of a sales tax that would help fund a new stadium for the Royals near downtown. It would also support upgrades to the Chiefs' current home, Arrowhead Stadium. Former Kansas City Council member Becky Nace is heading up the opposition committee. Meanwhile, the Royals and the Chiefs have each contributed $50,000 to a committee supporting the tax. Eastern Airlines is moving its headquarters to Kansas City. Investing nearly $5 million in a move, the company expects to create 165 jobs. The airline previously had a connection to Kansas City as its parent company purchased a maintenance facility and formed a freight company in the city in 2021. New jobs will include maintenance professionals, pilots, and flight operations personnel. St. Louis utility company Ameren announced this week it will build a new natural gas plant in St. Louis County. The proposed plant would cost about $800 million and would be used as a backup source of energy during times of extreme demand. Ameren is planning to build the new plant at the site of the former Merrimack Energy Center, a coal power plant that shuttered in 2022. Desiree Reed Francois resigned from her role as the University of Missouri's athletics director this week to take the same role at the University of Arizona. Reed Francois is a graduate of Arizona's law school. She was hired at Missouri in 2021 and signed a contract extension in April that would have kept her in the role into 2028. Reed Francois' salary at Missouri was $1.25 million with her extension. At Arizona, she will make $1 million in her first year, with an increase to $1.2 million in her fifth year. story, we'll take a look at how Missouri is navigating a change to the way presidential primaries are conducted in the state. 
Missouri Republicans are shifting to a caucus this year, correct? Right. The Missouri legislature voted in 2022 to eliminate state funding for a presidential preference primary, and Republicans opted to conduct a caucus to choose their nominee. That will take place in each county on March 2nd. Well, it'll definitely be interesting to hear what those changes look like. Yep. Missouri Business Alert reporter Riley Hindle spoke with Nick Myers, chairman of the state Republican Party, to learn more about what these changes mean. Here's the story. Starting off really generally, I wanted, you've been quoted kind of through a different publications uh, in the lead up to this year, but I wanted to hear it straight from yourself. Um, but what are some of the benefits or challenges of the switch that you've come across this year? I think there's some real opportunities for participatory democracy. In other words, get out and make your wishes known as to who should be the presidential nominee for the Republican Party. And, and the caucus is going to do that. There's 114 counties in the state of Missouri, and they're all going to have a caucus that will convene at 10 a.m. March the 2nd. And then what we will do there is we will uh, bind delegates from each county to a presidential candidate uh, for the first ballot of the next step in nominating the presidential, uh, the Republican presidential candidate. Mm -hmm. And we'll also have our platform, which every four years, we do a caucus every four years for the purposes of naming delegates and uh, reconstructing the platform. I, from a couple different years, I've seen people say our, the presidential preference primaries cost anywhere from like $7 million to $11 million. And that part of the reason why we switch is to help save that cost. So I kind of wanted to hear from you, what has that looked like this year? Has it achieved that goal or...? Yeah. And so so the, the cost is being borne by the respective parties this time. So the in the Missouri in the Republican Party, we each county chair is responsible for securing uh, a location in the county that will hopefully be large enough to contain everybody who wishes to participate and uh, all the arrangements that go along with that. The state parties had cost of, of training each uh, throughout the state. We've had a number of uh, training sessions, so we've had borne the cost of that. We have extra staff on board because of that. Our, we've had to pay additional cost for our website uh, in order to be able to pre-register uh, people and get the Secretary of State's uh, public voter file and so whatever the cost of then, we have borne that as the party. With having to update your website and hire on that extra staff, do you have any like rough estimates of kind of how that's increased your guys' expenditures this year? Oh, I would, uh, I would uh, to get uh, to get the actual number. I would have to uh, talk to the fiscal folks. Of course, we're not quite there yet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when we do that, I would say it's. Uh, probably been in, uh, with all the associated efforts, probably in excess of $200,000. That's a that's a pretty penny right there. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it is. But, I mean, we, there are benefits that are related to interacting more with your uh, county chairs. And I would have to say the county chairs have done a, a great job in uh, engaging 
engaging with this and pulling it uh, pulling it together and, and making the caucuses actually happen. We're not the only state that has these caucuses, and so should the preference primary not get reinstated in time for, you know, 2028. Um, and I mean, even for this year, what are some aspects maybe from like Iowa or Nevada or Wyoming or any of the other caucus states that you're hoping to include in this year or in 2028? So we're hoping to let the groups work out, the various candidate groups work out what's the best way to allocate those delegates and then present a slate based on that allocation to the attendees and and uh, have them uh, adopt that slate to send them on to the congressional district convention or the state convention. So that is an aspect of uh, Iowa that we try to take. The, the idea is, is that the various candidates work this out themselves, among themselves, and then present that to the to the chair in agreement, in agreement as to how the various delegates will be offered and allocated. If they, if those cannot, if that cannot be worked out, then the chair will have to become more active in the allocation based on how the how the group divided behind the candidates. So it is a chance for people to participate. And so if you know three or four people who agree with you, but they can't get to the caucus for some reason you are going to be their messenger and uh, you can speak up for your candidate the, the two major things we're working on is the nomination of the next president of the united states and then seeing that our platform reflects the members of the party story, we turn to the restaurant industry. What's going on with the restaurants? Well, the National Restaurant Association released its annual State of the Industry report earlier this month. The report projects annual sales topping $1 trillion for the first time, and it predicts the sector will add 200,000 jobs this year. Those sound like positive signs. I know it's been a challenging couple of years for the industry, recovering from COVID, addressing staffing issues, and dealing with rising prices. It has, and the report also reflects that. But to get a better sense of some of the current challenges and opportunities for Missouri restaurants, reporter Trey Kent spoke with Richard Walls. Walls owns the Heidelberg, a bar and restaurant in Columbia. He also serves as the president of the Mid-Missouri Restaurant Association. Could you talk to me maybe a little bit about the, the state of your business in this past year? It's been a little more challenging than the year before. Yeah, I'd say some of the challenges are, I mean, food cost, staffing, and this is in... Uh, the macro, the big picture. We've been really lucky to have a full staff the whole time here. We, we kind of had a post-COVID boom, and I think that's leveled off a little bit. According to this report, it said that 45% of operators say that they're, they need more employees to meet customer demands. I was just curious, in the context of you and the surrounding business, how accurate do you find this? Well, I think Columbia is a little different due to Three universities being here at a younger population base, that's uh, been very beneficial in helping to find staff. So I think in, in Columbia, our staffing is better than national, probably. Another factor that was talked about was the increase of, um, of average food costs. And 
2023 compared to 2022. How do you feel your business handled that? Well, when the we have uh, become a lot more efficient, we've reduced menu size, we've reduced some of the operating hours, we've you know we've had to raise some prices. The report indicated that 43% of restaurants are still carrying on debt from the pandemic. How has your restaurant and restaurants in your area, you think, handled this, the financial troubles caused by the pandemic? Well, I mean, I think if you were a struggling restaurant before the pandemic and with the pandemic, you either got better or you sold the business, got out of the business. You know, it seems like there's been some, some turnover of restaurants in Columbia. I was curious, then what do you believe the biggest challenges uh, for the restaurant industry going into this year are going to be? I think it's going to be, you know, maintaining and increasing sales. Really, a lot of it's going to be consumer-based as far as are people going to be spending money? Are they going to be holding back on money? Uh, what's inflation going to affect their ability to go out to eat? You know, does the stock market continue to do well? With the presidential election year, I think you see some uncertainty, too. I think we saw that in 2020 with people kind of waiting and see what's going to happen. To to kind of wrap this up a little bit, and what is your perspective um, where the restaurant industry is heading in 2024? I'd say right now we're in kind of a period of uncertainty. And I think locally we revolve around the university in this town. So when the university is doing well, when there's uh, people on campus and there's events going on, I think you'll see a little, be a little more bullish on sales. I think it's kind of been a slower start to the year so far. Then those, some of the traffic's been off as far as customer counts been off a little bit, but we'll see. I mean, the weather definitely affects that some. I mean, I'm always optimistic, but I also have to be realistic in our planning. Richard, I want to thank you again for talking with me and helping me, you know, understand this from a local operator's point of view. Um, I hope you have a great rest of your day. All right. Hopefully I'll understand it too myself. So even after 40 years of managing, I'm still like, okay, here we go. But we got a pretty good idea on it. It is now time for us to get into our words of the week. Ansley, what's your word this week? My word is stingers. Are we talking about bees? I genuinely have such a fear of them. I'm so scared. <laughs> Not quite. Okay. Um, I'm actually talking about pickleball. The Kansas City Stingers are the city's first professional pickleball team. Okay, that makes a lot more sense now. And professional pickleball is a relatively new thing, right? That's correct. The National Pickleball League only launched in 2022 and played its first season last year. The league began with six teams, and now it's adding six more teams. Interesting. So what does that timeline look like? When will the team be formed? So things kick off next month when there will be two combines for potential players to demonstrate their skills. And then in April, the Stingers will draft their team and all the teams will begin playing one tournament a month. That's all I've got this week. What's your word, Siggy? My word is Disney star. Uh, um, which Disney star is in the news now? Do you know who Bridget Mendler is? Um, of course. I think I remember watching her on Disney Channel, right? Yep, so she was a star of Good Luck Charlie, which was one of my favorite shows growing up. She was also in the movie Lemonade Mouth, which was on Disney Channel. 
Um, and then she was also, I believe, in a recurring role on Wizards of Waverly Place. Mm. So very big uh, Disney star. Multi-talented. From, yes, of course, from the 2010s. Uh, and now she's the CEO of a space startup. So that's actually crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you tell me more about the company? Yeah, sure. So Northwood Space recently launched, and it already has around $6 million in initial funding from investors. The goal is to create a data highway to send data between Earth and space, and Northwood plans to do this through building ground stations. And the company is based in California. Okay, so how exactly did Mendler go from being a um, famed actress and singer to space CEO? So Mendler's been involved in STEM and academia for quite a while now. She has degrees from Harvard Law School and MIT, and she also used to work for the Federal Communication Commission's Space Bureau. Well, that is all for this week. The M33 Project provided the music for this episode. For my co-host Ansley Franco, editors Brianna Davis, Gabriella Lacey, Sharon Rick of Dar Xavier, Skylar Rossi, and Michael Stacy. I'm Siggy Reese, and this has been Business Brief. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. 